Good afternoon, everyone. You know, after that fine night last night, that was our 48th not to be much observed, and I think that was one of the finest we've observed. And I woke up this morning after eating that delicious food with a heavy stomach. And I bet some of you woke up with a heavy stomach, but that's one time you can eat a little bit more and enjoy the feast that God has prepared for us. It was beautifully done, the choir. You know, you always enjoy special music. I've always wanted to sing. That's been one of my desires in life, but I guess I'll have to wait until I'm born again. And God will probably put me off somewhere in a universe so nobody can hear me. I was thinking about last night as well. You know, God said, Great peace of they that love thy law. When you think about the holy days, there's, we have peace. There's peace each Sabbath when we come together. And God wants us to be at peace. Now, the world out there is not at peace, but God has given us peace because we love His law. And He wants us to enjoy His way of life. I'd like to relate something to you, a miracle that happened, and I think all of us know that we serve a miracle work in God. Lakeisha, remember we asked for a prayer for her this past Sabbath. I went to anoint her, my wife did, after services last Sabbath, and she was relating to me that her blood sugar was 12, dangerous low, you see. In essence, she was almost dead. And she probably would be dead today if the fire department hadn't come and revived her and got her back, you know. And um, she's very, she was very thankful. And when we were talking with her, uh, she was hurting and severe pain. She hadn't been able to eat, vomiting, everything. And so we anointed her. And I thought, well, there's no way. She wanted to come to Passover. That was her first Passover. Her desire was to be there. And so I anointed her and said, we are going to continue to pray for you. So I got a call Sunday afternoon and said, you know, she's out of the hospital and wants to know if she can come to the Passover. I said, what? <laughs> you know, it's like Peter knocking at the door. They've been praying for him to get out of prison. He's knocking the door and, and uh, they were so shocked to see him. And when God does work a miracle, we tend to be shocked in a way. But here she is again today. And the reason I'm pointing this out is to show you the determination that we all must have if we're going to be in God's kingdom. It takes effort and pain and suffering on our part to let God know that we want to be with Him. In spite of our pains, in spite of our sufferings, in spite of our hurts, our trials and our tests of life, that we want to be with God and live with Him forever as we experience His peace during this feast and all feasts. We get a little foretaste of it. And God wants us to for get a foretaste of what is coming. And you can taste it. Now, you literally can taste His feast days. There's something about it. You can't explain it to others. You experience it yourself. And... and when you try to tell somebody else, they don't exactly know what you're talking about because all they can relate to is Easter. 
So when we keep these days, we don't think about rabbits and chocolate bunnies and things of that nature, hunting Easter eggs. They have no meaning. They teach absolutely nothing. And yet the world says that's what they enjoy. That gives them satisfaction. So last night during this uh, banquet, I would say, we had 44 headquarters and some of our ladies really outdid themselves. It was, just, it was a beautiful setup. So I asked Mr. Bomer, I said, would you get your camera and just take some pictures of that? You know, the candlelight, flowers, background music. It was peace. And nobody really wanted to leave. See? No, didn't want to leave because there was such peace there. God was there, and I'm sure it was wherever you were. It was there. We didn't have any waiters, you know, making us miserable or whatever. And so we just had Mrs. McNair to make us miserable. <laughs> she outdid herself, and all of you did. I want you to know that. But speaking of waiters, said, what were you doing when the judge arrived, or the police arrived? The judge asked the defendant, waiting, sir, for what? For money? Who was supposed to give you money? The man I was waiting for. Why was he going to give you money? For waiting. Enough of this, explained the exasperated judge. What do you do for a living? I'm a waiter. So, so. <laughs> so as we sit here this afternoon in the divine presence of Almighty God the Father, Jesus Christ, and His holy angels, all of us should be just overfilled with joy and love for God, for what He's done for us. That you are in His divine presence, and they're all looking down upon all the congregations around the world that are in His name. And what a responsibility God has given to us to carry on the work that Christ started. And we have that responsibility, as we heard in the off-tour message, that we do give. It takes sacrifice on all of our parts. It's sac Christ sacrificed himself, and he expects us to sacrifice ourselves to do the job. So God has given us this festival, the Days of Unleavened Bread, to press upon each one of us that we can never return to the sins that Christ died for and shed his blood. We can never go back, go back to the past. We can never look back to the world. We have to go forward. There's no back. There's nothing back there. It was all drowned in the bathtub. If you were b baptized in the bathtub, you say, there's nothing to look back on. That we go forward. God has called us to be forward-looking people. That we look forward to the next feast, the next Sabbath, where we can have peace. And where we can come together for that peace. Now, God has given His church these seven festivals. And each step of the way pictures part of that future that we're looking forward to. These seven festivals, that we can be born again with all power that God has given to us, we'll have. And peace, and what a satisfaction that's going to be when everybody is keeping the feast. So you wonder, in the millennium, where are they going to put the leavening? <laughs> everybody has to put it out. Where will it go? On each other's property? Well, you put it on my property, I put it on yours. It's something to think about, isn't it? The crackers and cookies and all of that. Where will they put it? See? 
Well, we'll have to wait and find out, you know. Christ will be here. Now, Israel of old always wanted to go back. So I asked the question, what would they go back to? What was there? When God got through with Egypt, what was it back there they wanted to go back to? See, long to go back. And even though they saw the power of God, the miracles of God, saw all of that and still didn't believe God. Is sin believing? You've heard people say, well, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. I've got to see it first. Well, there's an example in the Scriptures. Turn with me to John chapter 20. He's called old Doubting Thomas. I think most of us one time or the other have heard about Doubting Thomas. John 20 verse 24. Now Thomas called... The twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples before said to him, We have seen the Eternal, or the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Now here he had spent all of that time with those apostles, Thomas. And yet he didn't believe them. I had seen, there were 11 of them who saw him, and yet he didn't. And I'm not going to believe him until I can put my finger in that hole. Now think about that. You put a finger in a hole, how that stake, or whatever they drove into Christ, how large that might have been. And the spear where you can put your whole hand inside, of that, where that spear went into his side. And what he suffered, you see, what he suffered as a Savior, sacrificed himself. And yet, here Thomas saw it. I'm not going to believe it, even though he probably remembered the sign of Jonah. You know, Christ had to tell them he was going to be resurrected. He had to tell them he was going to die. And yet he didn't believe it, unless I see it. Unless I see it. And Christ heard that, apparently. Heard what he said. And he goes on to show the other disciples, therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see him, you see. Then verse 26. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them, and Jesus came, the door being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace. See, peace be to you. I bring you peace. I have been resurrected. My peace is going to be in you, you see. And that's what we all want is peace. Everybody wants the peace of mind. Everybody is looking for peace. People take tranquilizers, whether they can't. They take vacations to get away and try to find peace. When Christ is the peace... And there will never be any peace on earth until He comes, who is the Prince of Peace. But we're the harbingers of that peace. When we come together, we have peace. Now, we used to didn't have peace at all. You come together and it was, you know, gossip. It was against the minister or against so-and-so, against the deacon or this or that. There was no peace. But God has given us peace as His people in this end time. 
that we have to have peace for this destruction that's coming on the scene. You know, my wife's twin sister saw in the paper the devastation uh, here in North Carolina, and she was concerned about, you know, about us. And you saw the devastation. But you didn't see any of our people there. God spared our people. He takes care of us, and He gives us peace. But yet, we hate to see anybody, you know, lose their homes and things like that. So then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side and do do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me, you see. We, no one has seen Christ. Now, I've talked to people who claim they've seen Christ, but no one has seen Christ. So we believe, we must believe that He is alive. How do we believe that? See, how do we believe it? Well, this feast represents that. The bread of life. See, the bread of life. He is the bread of life. He is the sacrifice that we have sacrificed because of our sins. And He expects us to eat Him. Eat that word. Live by that word. So if we live by that faith, if we live by that word, then we have life in us. And we have peace in us. You see, that's what he expects us to do is live by that word. Live by his word. He's the sacrifice. He's the Lamb of God. Just like the Old Testament, they, you know, you kill the lamb, you'd have to eat it. That's what they did. It was a meal. Mr. Meredith has Ask us time and time and time and time. Feed on Christ. He always gave the big four, remember? And they'd say, oh, please, no more (laughs) of the big four. And yet people never understood that. Mr. Armstrong used to talk about the two trees. And nobody grasped that. They turned him off. See, They turned peace off. They turned their Savior off, who was inspiring that. Now, where are they today? Do you think they have peace? Do you think you have peace, brother, if you leave the body of Christ and go back to the world? you think the world offers more? You know what they offer is confusion and death. There may be some pleasure, but afterwards is the tremendous penalty to be paid, where there is no peace. We live in an insane world. Satan is insane. He is crazy. Does it make Is it sane to commit adultery? Is it sane to steal? Is it sane to lie? Is that sanity? Well, who is the God of this world? He's insane. And we'll read in a few minutes where he just he finds no rest. It's back and forth, back and forth. You've seen people, it's back and forth, back and forth. I've gone to some hospitals, they, you know, this back and forth. They're trying to find peace. They're rocking. Cannot find peace. And the God of this world, you see, has no peace. Back and forth, trying to make somebody like him. So the days picture us then, picture to us that God is our God. 
and that we will never go back to Egypt, never go back to the lifestyle that we once repented of, never go back and pick that up, because there's nothing there but death. See, nothing but death. And when the children of Israel left Egypt, they saw nothing but death, just death, wailing, crying, all of those things. And I mentioned last night, I said, it boggles the mind to try to understand the Exodus. You know, you see the Ten Commandments and that little sea opening up. It's just like trying to, I don't know the population of Mecklenburg County is. But if it's over two and a half million, that's how many would have to move. Think about that. That many people moving with the cattle, you know, with everything, that the dough, they had to move. It took organization. It took leadership. People paid attention. They wanted to move, you see. In seven days, you moved that many people. And the sea, how wide would that have to be for that many people to cross? Sometimes, you know, in my mind, I thought it was about like this right here. Well, how long would it take two and a half million people, if that's many? How many would it take to cross the Red Sea? They saw God's power. They experienced that power. And yet they still didn't believe God. Didn't believe Him at all. As, you know, the Bible speaks of over and over. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 15. Back to Genesis 15. Now here, the one who became Christ was about to start a family, family of nations. And he had chosen this one individual, Abraham, for this job, for this responsibility. Chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. Or your reward shall be great. See, Abraham never lived to see that. He didn't see that. Never lived to see those nations. Now, here is somebody who believed or didn't see and God account said, I, you know, he counted that to him for righteousness. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childish. Then verse 3, Abram said, Look, you had given me no offspring indeed. One born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward the heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord, accounted it to him for righteousness. You see what faith is? is, is it's not what you see at all. It's what the Bible says. And we are heirs to the same as Abraham. We are his seed. We're heir to all of what he saw and what he believed. And not only that, but he had to wait 25 years, you know, for a baby to be born. 
25 years. He could have become impatient. He could have said, well, was God lying to me? Why is he making me wait 25 years? He's just like, why is God waiting? Why is he making me wait to be healed? Why is he making me do all of these things? You see, it's just believing what God said. If we can believe him, who has all power, what he said, and live by that word, eat that word, live by that word, and it gives you life. It gives you peace when you do that. See? As we grow in this grace and knowledge, then we tend to grow in more peace. As we get to know each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, it gives us more peace, you see. People are willing to help. People are willing to share. People are willing to come and take you places. They want to do that. It gives you peace when you know somebody cares for you. It helps you. I've been around people who say, you know, nobody loves me. Church members don't have anything to do with me. I said, have you ever tried just giving yourself a little bit to others? You have to give to be blessed. If you don't give, you're not blessed. See? How can God bless somebody who never gives? And we heard that special music, For God so loved the world that He gave. See? He gave, and what do we do? For God, we thank Him for Jesus Christ. We thank Him and we bless His name. We, we show others peace that we have in us. Christ in us. The hope of glory. And as time goes on, brethren, we are going to have to understand this. That we are going to have to live by every word of God. See? By every word if we want to escape all of these troubles and tribulations. And we certainly don't want to be caught up like Egypt. I mean, like the Israelites where they had to go a few, you know, through a few plagues. We know what is coming. See? Now, people... Heard about the tribulation for years and the day of the Lord for years, but that didn't deter them from evil. See? They went, went about their own business, doing evil, didn't think anything about it. See? No deterrence of evil. And we try to use that to get people to be good. The Protestant world offers heaven as a reward for those who are good, but that does not deter them from evil, you see? At all. Or we tell our children, if you be good, I'll do something. But that doesn't change their heart. They're just good to get something. See? And that's hard to understand. Here Abraham was promised something. He believed God. Then God finally made the covenant with him. And God's word is true. See? And he is his word is true. Now, in, in verse 12, Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict, afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they served, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried 
at a good old age. So here is something that Christ had promised Abraham. Now what if Christ had forgotten about that? 400 years is a long time. See? That's a long time, isn't it? And he never forgets. His word is always true. He's always on time. Always. His word is true. He remembers the moaning and the groaning and the cries of people who are suffering. He hears those. See, it's not that he doesn't hear. He hears those. Now we read in chapter 3 of Exodus that time had come, see, to, for him to keep his word to his friend Abraham. So the one who became Christ came down from where he was, came down to this earth to keep his word to his servant Abraham. See? In verse 3, he was introducing himself to someone who was going to be used to deliver a message. This all-powerful ruler. Now Moses was tended the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the back of the desert. In verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire. But the brush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called him. Here was the calling, see. Just like God called us. He called him from the burning bush. Not on television or the radio or the plain truth or the tomorrow's world. He was called. And this is what he told him to do. Moses, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. So wherever God is, is holy. Now what does God tell us to do when he calls us? What do we fight against the most? The Holy Sabbath. Because God is in the Holy Sabbath. And we take our shoes off. We don't trample on His holy Sabbath. He called Moses. He said, now take your shoes off. The ground here is holy. Well, it's just dirt. But wherever God is, is, is holy, you see. If God is here, then we're holy people. This is a holy convocation if God is here. Moreover, He said, I am God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I knew their sorrows. He knew that. See? Not only did he know that, but he came to experience the same thing see? as a human being. He heard the moaning and the crying of what they were going through. They were slaves. So I have come down, he said, to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. In the place of the Canaanites and Hittites and so on. Verse 9. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. 
Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of, of Israel, out of Egypt. So he was chosen here for that purpose, you know, for this particular person, pur- purpose, that Moses was already trained in the Egyptian way of life. Now he had this tremendous job to lead two and a half million people out of the bondage and out of slavery. What a task that was, you know, for a human being. No wonder Moses said, I can't talk. (laughs) He had to go before the most powerful leader of the world at that time and deliver a message. And Moses said, well, if I go to the children of Israel, what am I going to say? Who sent me? He said, I am sending you. I am what I am. I am. You tell them I am sending you. The one that has all power. I am sending you. To the greatest power at that time on earth, which was the Egyptian power, see, at that, at that time. Now in chapter 5, after Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, thus saith the eternal God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Now you see, brethren, there's no way you can keep God's feasts. In this world. They kept the Passover in Egypt. Which is death. See. However. They had to come out to keep the feast. And God was determined to bring them out. Because he had promised Abraham. Some 400 something years ago. That he would. Then this is what Pharaoh said. Who is the eternal or Lord? I should obey him. His voice. To let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, nor will I let them go. See how arrogant he was? Well, he's about to find out who God was. You know, Paul said it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He was just about to find out who he was talking to and criticizing and disobeying. And we know all of the devastation that happened to, to Egypt because of... You know, because of the stubbornness of Pharaoh. So if it's a fearful thing then, brother, don't you think we should have that same fear of falling into the hands of a living God who holds life and death into the hands of this God? So when they left, started the promised land, that generation who saw all that power, the devastation of Egypt, where they lost mostly their wealth. They lost their army. In the red, they were powerless. It was helpless. They had no food. God had taken their gods and devastated Egypt with them. They had nothing at all. So you would have thought then, after seeing this one powerful nation in economic shambles, that you would never want to go back there. See? Never would want to go back to Egypt. There's nothing there. Just like there's nothing there in this world for people who go back. There's nothing there except insanity. See, It doesn't give you a sound mind to go back. The soundness is to go forward. 
and live by that word and eat that word and feast on that word that gives you life, eternal life inside. Where you're alive inside. You're not dead. Alive inside. Where you have personality, your eyes start shining when you start talking about this great God and the future. Now, do you believe America is just about to fall into the hands of this God? We've been teaching that for how many years? And preaching that. Do you believe the United States of Europe is going to fall into the hands of this great God? See? So what will be left when he gets through with this world? What's going to be left for people to look forward to? It's nothing. Absolutely nothing. All that will be taken away by the great God to demonstrate his power. Throughout eternity they will know the difference in God and Pharaoh and this world. There's a difference. And they will know it. Now God delivered them out. He gave them his law. But it didn't change their heart at all. Didn't change them one bit. See, the law. He promised them a land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That was no deterrent to evil for them. They didn't pay any attention to that. For 40 years, they just wandered around, wandered around, griping and complaining and murmuring until just each one died, died off and understand that. You would have thought now, just speaking, just... Without God's Spirit, seeing all that devastation and how God was feeding them, how the dresses or whatever they were wearing never decayed, everything was in fashion for 40 years. You don't have to worry about a hairstyle or shoes. Does this shoes go with what I'm wearing? It never did wear out. Not only that, but they, there was no sick people. See, there were no sick, sick people there. It's ideal for them to have everything they wanted, probably desired. So we've been preaching, as I mentioned, this coming tribulation, the day of the Lord. Even a lot of our members were heard it, listened. But where are they today? What happened today? Sunday. Christmas, all of those things had gone back to Egypt, whereas there's nothing. You know what's wrong with them? Well, let's just turn first and find out why the children of Israel did not receive the promise as God promised them that generation. We find that in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 3, you say, well, it was unbelief. Well, that is true. Well, what made them, what gave them that unbelief? Verse 8, well, in verse 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, verse 7 of chapter 3 of Hebrews, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works 
40 years, and therefore I was angry with that generation, and said they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways, because they wouldn't obey them. He gave them, he gave them the way. He gave them the message. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 11, So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And verse 12, Paul is warning the, the church there around Jerusalem about three years away from the tribulation period. He said that same condition can happen to you. He said, Beware, brethren, lest there be in, an e- in you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. See, they were gloomy and despondent and, and, uh, and they were admonished to exhort each other. Just like we are. If we see somebody down and out, we are to exhort somebody. If we see someone that's in sin, our job is to help the person come out of it. It's not to condone it. It's to come out of it. See, that's our job. That's our responsibility to love our brothers. To come out of those things. Now verse 19. So we see that they could not enter because of unbelief. Therefore, chapter 4 verse 1. Since a promise remains of entering his rest. Let us fear. And that's the key. I want to zero in on. Fear. They did not fear God. God was not feared. By the children of Israel. And Paul is showing the church, you had better learn to fear this God that's bringing on the tribulation around Jerusalem. This fear, see, is what's lacking in a lot of lives. If we fear God, we keep His commandments. If we don't fear God, we don't keep His commandments. It's that fear, you see, a healthy fear that we stand in awe of this God. And we keep His Word. If we don't have that fear, we do what we want to do. That we don't study the Bible. That we don't pray. Unless we have that fear. And fear is what drives you to the knees. Fear is what you begin to see, I've done some evil things. Fear is my thinking has been right. I've got to get it right. Before this great God. It's the fear of God that was lacking in the lives of the Egyptians, I mean, of the Israelites in Egypt. And yet, they saw His power and still didn't respect Him or fear Him. See? No wonder God allowed them to just wander around and around and around to teach them a lesson. What could He do for somebody that really doesn't fear Him or respect Him, that doesn't want to live with Him? doesn't want to be, I don't want you to be my God. I don't like that living church of God's God. See? I don't like that. They're too strict. They have this government I don't like. See? Well, who's the head of the church? It's Christ. The one who delivered Israel out of Egypt. Who's coming back? In great power to destroy these nations is Christ. But we've been programmed by the world of this sweet Jesus who wouldn't hurt a flea. This effeminate Jesus 
that you can just get your way with him. You can do anything you want to and just say, I'm sorry, this deathbed, deathbed religion. See? You know, I remember my daddy, when he was dying, he realized he was dying. And he got up in the morning, early one morning, and he, he ran for about four miles to get to this uh, preacher so he could be saved. To get to the preacher. And we found out that he gave his heart to the Lord. And that just satisfied all of us. We've forgotten about how, <laughs> how he lived. But you see, that was cure-all. He gave his heart to the Lord. And he must have changed that last minute. See? Well, anybody's going to change if they feel like they're going to die. <laughs> it's amazing... It's amazing how you start examining yourself when, when, you, when you think you're going to die. But when you're alive and healthy, you don't think about that. So that made us all feel good about our daddy. Now, we knew he was a sinner, but our, you know, not the sinner that we understand what the Bible says. Because he'd work on Sunday, you know, things like that, and try to make a living with the family. So the only deterrent to evil, the only thing that will stop anybody from sinning is, is a fear of God. And let's just look at a scripture too on that. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 9. <clears throat> and this whole feast is teaching us to fear God. We just come through death, Passover. And now we're coming into life, and the only way we can live is have a feast on Christ. Feast on Him, you see. We get that picture that we are to eat the sacrifice, which is, you know, His Word for us is written down. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the eternal is the beginning of wisdom. See? Now, how do you make a decision if you don't have the knowledge? And how do you make decisions if it's not based on knowledge of the Bible? What kind of decision would one make? Okay, the fear of God is the beginning of something. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. See, The knowledge of the holy days. The knowledge of the Sabbath. The knowledge of God. When we compare our knowledge to the knowledge of God, we repent. When we see who God is, we see who we are, we repent through that knowledge. We have to have that fear, the knowledge, as we'll show where Job didn't recognize he had a sin. He didn't have the knowledge of it. And the only time he understood it is when God came down and talked to him. He became so knowledgeable of God, he repented of his action. The more we grow in the grace and knowledge of God, the more we repent. The less we grow, the less we know about God, who he is. If we don't know God, then how can we repent? Of what? See, if we don't know him. It's the fear of God is the beginning of something. Beginning of knowledge. An understanding of holy days. 
the Sabbath. Then we make decisions based on that knowledge. And usually when we go to Feast of Tabernacles, we all realize we come back fresh. Boy, I'm, I have some changes I'm going to have to make. Why well, we have more knowledge of God, who He is. Now, I've still got sin in me. I cannot see and have no knowledge of it. Unless He give, the more I grow in the knowledge of who God is, the more I'm going to see that sin I need to get out of me. That will give me more peace. So it's the fear of the eternal is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One or the holy days or holy time is the understanding that we're a person that can make a decision as wisdom. When God reveals something then, we immediately do what He tells us to do. See? A lot of times He just tells us to keep our mouth shut and listen to Him. Now let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. In verse 1, every commandment, Deuteronomy 8 verse 1, every commandment which I command you today, see, every man, every one I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the eternal swore to your fathers, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these forty years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. Now, God didn't know. If He had known, why would He test them? You know, if God knows I'm going to keep Sabbath, why would He test me? See? If he knows I'm willing to give up my job for the Sabbath, why would he test me? Well, he might test me one time, but he wouldn't continue testing me if he knows that. But he said, every one, every word, that is your life. That's the way you got, if you want to reproduce and keep the land, that is, that's your life, see. So he humbled you, verse 3, allowed you to hunger, fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you to know that man shall not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that's exactly, we don't live to eat. That's promised us. We live by that word of God, which is eternal life. We eat it if we want to, or we can eat damnation. That's a choice that each human being has to make. Now, we can come to church. We can turn the pastor off. We can turn the, the speaker off and do our own thing and continue to be miserable and wonder why everything goes wrong. See, Why is this happening to me? God promises us if we fear Him and keep His commandments, He will keep us. That we won't have to go hungry. We'll have a house to live in. We'll have food to eat. That we don't have to worry about those things as long as we fear God and keep His commandments. It's when we knock God out of the picture that I know what's best for my family. I know what's best for me. They don't understand. It's easy for them to say that we suffer needlessly. 
And God doesn't want us to suffer that way. You know, that way, against Him. Now, the world's going to make us suffer. The world will fire us for a job if we don't keep it. Well, God is, uh, I believe He owns everything, if I'm not mistaken. All these buildings, manufacture. He owns it all. If He wants to fire me, He can give me a better job. If He owns it. But you've got to fear God to keep His commandments. And don't fear men, what men will think. What will men think? So he goes on, Your garments did not wear out, nor did your foot swell these forty years. Just think about that. They had no ingrown toenails, apparently. They had to worry about their feet swelling. You see how God took care of them? They didn't even know it. All they did was murmur and complain and complain. And God was taking care of them, fed them. All they had to do is go out and collect the food. They didn't have to even cook it, apparently. But they got tired of that. Nothing would please them. (laughs) And you see people in the church that nothing pleases that individual. Nothing. Always finding fault with something. Instead of being thankful that they sit in the presence of this great God who has all power. In the presence of Him who has all power, all love, and all understanding. And He'll give us what we set our needs. That's exactly what He said. He said, You should know as your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Why? Does He do it? Verse 6, Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in His ways and to fear Him. And to fear Him again. The more we fear God, the more we keep His commandments. The more knowledgeable we are who we are. As we fear our God in heaven above. And that's why it's so important for all of us to, through these days of unleavened bread, realizing that we're learning to fear the God who brought us out of the world. Respect Him. Stand in awe of Him. His might. His power. Because all the nations in the world is nothing but a drop in the bucket of Him. There's nothing greater than God. Nothing. And you just wonder how in the world did that sea just open up? Just, there it is. What did He do? Or when He came down at Mount Sinai and all that began to rock and, you know, He began to speak and they were afraid they were, they're going to die. How did that began to work like that. See, what kind of power does he have? So sometimes we bring God because we don't fear him like we should down to maybe a human level, to a human level, see, instead of understanding that he can destroy this whole earth if he wanted to, with us in it, if he wanted to. He doesn't have to resurrect us if he didn't want to. Who's going to to tell God what to do? We just trust Him, see? We trust that power. There are a lot of things He doesn't have to do. There's a lot of things He will do, you know, to help us to make this journey through life, as He talks about. You know, the more we fear God, the more we we are motivated to obey Him. 
And the more you're obey, uh, motivated to obey Him, the happier you are. You find everything that's desirable in your heart. Peace, joy, love, goodness, all the fruits of God's Spirit. As we fear Him, it motivates us to become more like Him, see, as well. In Proverbs 23, chapter 23 of Proverbs, verse 17, Do not let your heart, do not let your heart envy sinners. But be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day, all day long. You know, people might get certain things by cheating or stealing or might get a car or lying or whatever. See, we are to be in the fear of God all day long. What are we going to do with that day? The knowledge that we've asked God for. What are we going to do with it that day? That knowledge that day. We can't live tomorrow, it's not here. We can't live yesterday, it's already gone. It's how we live today. Today, if you hear my voice, see, today, don't harden your heart. And we have to be zealous to understand and think about how awesome God is. On the way from Passover, I mean, last night, I guess you all saw that beautiful moon. Let's see. He comes every year at this time. <laughs> Never misses a minute. Every year. Beautiful, isn't it? Carolina moon. Keep on shining. Remember that song? Thought just how beautiful that is, how just there all the time. And I saw the other day the, they were taking a shot of the earth as it was rotating and it just in the wobble like that. And I thought, how in the world does the ocean stay the way it is? You know, way way it turns... Uh, it's just amazing the power that God has. That the earth obeys Him. The moon obeys Him. This is your orbit. See? This is yours. And we know, brethren, that we go out and look at the moon. We, we can tell, quarter moon. They used to tell, that's where they used to tell, back in the old days, that they, that's where they'd go out and look, you know, sun up, it's 12 o'clock. Yeah, that's your shadow. Well, it must be around 1230. They go by that time. And it's amazing then. Back then, they had a fear of God. The old farmers, you could hear them out in the field praying, asking God for the crops. They pray in faith. You hear them singing. At night, they didn't have any place to go. But on Saturday night, they'd all give the neighbors. And guess what they would do? They would sing and have fun. And you go to somebody's house, you didn't just go for an hour. You stayed a couple of days. And you step on the floor. See? We've lost a lot of things. A lot of our young people have never experienced that kind of friendship and love and understanding. When people would share the last meal with you. Not only that, they'd come over and help you deliver your babies. And they'd take care of them. They make that sugar, I won't call it, you know, that, what they had to have a little baby. Everybody at that time had a different attitude, and God blessed this nation because of that. 
so we could enjoy these things. But we are so isolated and so cold that we don't have time for anybody. Oh, here they come. Go hide. You know. <laughs> Man, I hope they don't come over my house. Whew, I get so tired of cooking. And all we have to do is just go and turn the switch on. Back then, they had to build a fire. You know, old big pots. They didn't have washing machines. They didn't have dishwashers. But they had each other. And that's what counts. I remember seeing this uh, house floating down the big storm had come and washed the house away. And this couple was there arm in arm watching their house. So the newscaster asked, so there goes your house. You know that's a yes, but that's the house, but we still have each other. Now, what would, see, that to me was just outstanding. You're more to me than a house. You're more to me than a car. Daddy, you're more than me than a car. You're more than me than a nickel. See, I'm going to give you something, Daddy, for a while. You've been given to me. I'm going to give you something. I want to help you. Mother, I want to wash your dishes for you. Think about that, young people. I guess your parents would faint. You know? Or they'd say, what's gotten into you? <laughs> but see, that's what develops the human relationship. This giving, as we heard in the offertorium, we've got to give to enjoy what God has for us. Experience it. But we're so busy doing nothing. We're becoming almost like computers. We've deleted our emotions. We can't laugh. It says, yep, no, no, no. Yep, you know, delete. So God is going to have to start over with people who can talk. (laughs) You know, and those who love each other. Just think what it's going to be like helping people come out of these tribulation periods, comforting people, feeding people, showing them how to work, help them build their houses. It's going to take a lot of work, isn't it? Now, do you want to be a part of it? See, that's what God has called us to become, to help each other, to build, build that family. You know, just build that family. Now, in Psalms 103... Psalms 103, verse 10, Psalms 103. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. I am so thankful, I thank God every day, that He hasn't punished me according to my sins. I thank Him for that. I don't ask Him to whip me. (laughs) I thank Him for not punishing me. Uh, you know, until I get the knowledge of what I need to do. And the only way you get the knowledge is, is uh, you come to services and you listen. And God will help you if you listen. If you want to be taught who you are and what you are, what you're capable of doing, if you're lazy, if you're zealous, so you have something for everybody. For as... The heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. See, 
As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us, our transgressors, trans, transgressions. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Now, I didn't do a lot of things because I feared my daddy. That kept me out of a lot of trouble. I feared him. All he'd have to do is just... And that was it. The most difficult thing is when you had to go get your own switch. See, go get a switch. And you knew then, you start begging your mother, you start doing that. You come back with a little switch about like that. So he sent you back for a bigger switch. And they just didn't give you a little tap. I mean, it would last five years. <laughs> You'd crawl off somewhere and cry, you know, get on the bed and cry, and, and then also, you felt so good afterwards. And you respected that. You respected your daddy, who was the head of the house. My mother respected my daddy, taught us to respect my daddy, who was in authority of the house. We knew he was in charge. We knew who could whip. <laughs> and we knew we could get to the mother, who would have more mercy. Don't tell daddy, don't tell daddy, see. So God here said, if we fear Him, that keeps us then from a lot of whippings. Because He's going to whip us if He's called us. And I'm tired of being whipped. <laughs> you know, I want to get out of that whipping if I can, and I'm sure you do too, in a way. But we know from here, from here to the next feast, Passover, we've got a lot of work to do. A lot of work on ourselves. A lot of things to overcome. A lot of things that we don't even see about ourselves. And God shows us it hurts. We cry. We beg and we plead. We strive not to do it anymore. And in spite of us, we do it. In spite of us, you see. Then we cry more and we beg more and finally we overcome it. Then we don't have to pray for that anymore. We just know what we'll do. Well, this... Feast, then, you see, helps us to see that we are to put sin completely out. And God says, I remember it no more as long as you fear me. If you don't fear me, you'll go right back to those sins. See? Well, God, I thought they were all the way across the universe. Well, did I really get rid of them? Did I really mean it? If I go back to the same sins... If I go back to Christmas, if I go back to Sunday, did I really get rid of those sins? Or if I didn't want any authority over me, did I get rid of those sins? So it's just, you know, this uh, fear that God wants us to, to have of Him is respect for His Word, which is life. He wants to give us life, and we have to eat it. Let's turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Luke 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for He has regarded the lowly state of His maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Now just think about this young maid. 
who became pregnant. And a probably as she was showing. And they say, who got you pregnant, Mary? God did. <laughs> Are you kidding me? God got you pregnant? Now, what would you think? When you say that, you mean you're trying to tell me God got you pregnant? You want me to believe that? Even old Joseph, see, he had a problem with that. And God had to show him. Think about now why she's magnifying God. Even though she's probably going to have to go through a, a whole lot of suffering. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and, is, and holy is his name. Verse 15, his mercy is on those who fear him. That's where God's mercy is. When you go before God and ask for mercy, it's because you fear him. You fear to do it again. You fear God. And he answers and he covers those sins based on your faithfulness to his word. That he sees our hearts. He knows what's in our heart. He's tested us and tried us to see what's in our heart. He pretty much knows us, what we'll do, our weaknesses, what will cause us to do certain things. He probably knows all that. But the fear, the mercy is on. So, brethren, unless we fear God, we won't keep his feast, this feast the way he tells us to. Have you made up your mind to keep it the way God said is Passover and unleavened bread just a word? Is that all that is? It's a word. But have you thought about how that you're going to keep God's feast? How, how would you keep it? The feast. Well, I've thrown all the leavening out. Well, did that change your heart? That build character? You know, got rid of all the crumbs out of my pockets. Got rid of all the things in my car. Well, did that change your heart? Or is it just physical? That makes you feel good because you got it all out. But isn't this spiritual things we're talking about and not physical? That we work twice as hard for the physical we're worn out. Sweat. But what about spiritual things? Do we sweat blood? The same thing, or, or do we put too much emphasis on physical things when we're called to be spiritually minded? So how do we approach this feast? Let's turn back to Joshua. You know, when we first started keeping the days of unleavened bread, we'd tear the seats out of the car. Man, you just took everything, rugs out, beat the rug. <laughs> All your clothes, you shake them out. You're afraid to see a crumb. And no matter how hard you tried, there was always crumbs. <laughs> I remember one feast, I worked myself to death. So I went to church, I felt great. You know, this is, man, I felt good. I got all that old leavening out. I know all that old sin I put out of my house. Of course, I was full of it myself, but 
So I had my legs crossed, and I had cuffs on. And I started playing with my cuff, and I looked down, and I'd never seen so many crumbs. <laughs> right there in service. So I didn't know what to do, you know. I was afraid, boy, God's going to strike me down. <laughs> he has seen some crumbs in my pants. <laughs> I was shaking, you know, just really shaking. Because I'd heard if he's seen a crumb, you've had it. <laughs> you know, some minutes go into detail, it scare you to death. You know, just really scare you in uh, those situations. It's worse than a Baptist trying to talk about hell. You know, they scare you to death. Uh, they get you in that, uh, talking about that. So I used to go to Sunday church to stay out of hell, not to go to heaven. I didn't want to go to hell the way they describe it. So Joshua 24, verse 14. Now therefore, fear, verse 14 of Joshua 24, fear the eternal. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. See, that's how we approach today. In sincerity and truth. You can be sincere, still not have the truth. Or you can have the truth and not be sincere. They're both. They're both. Sincerity and truth. You have to be sincere in that truth. I've seen a lot of people sincere, but they didn't obey the truth. And I've seen a lot of people who are, had the truth that weren't sincere. It takes both, as Joshua is bringing out here. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river. And then Egypt, serve the eternal. And if it seems evil to you to serve the eternal, choose you yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river. You know, if our work is keeping us from obeying God, that is a God. Choose. Do you want your boss to tell you if you obey me, then, then I'm going to fire you? Well, who's your God then? See, if I disobey God and obey that God, do I fear my boss more than I do God the Father in heaven above in Christ? All those threats. Well, let them fire you. And let God work. That's what counts. People say, well, I can't afford to pay tithe. I can't afford the second tithe for the feet. I can't afford these things. I, I, God, can't afford. I, God. It's like we heard about uh, Cain. Cain thought he was God. Why should I sacrifice a lamb? I'm God. My mother told me I was. I'm the Messiah. See, Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'll do what I want to do. And mankind's been that way ever since. They don't want to be told. They're afraid of humans, but not God. See. So he just said, they finally said, as for me and my house, we will serve. See, we will serve the eternal. And that was probably the most righteous generation ever lived. As long as Joshua was alive, that generation stayed with God. But after he died, then it, you read the book of Judges and what all happened. <clears throat> now let's turn to 1 Corinthians 5. Then we're about. To... <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 5.
We've had that read to us so many times. So, Verse 7, Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new leaven, or a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with the leaven, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice, or self-will, or ill-will toward somebody, and wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Then I wrote to you, here's what I said, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yes, I certainly did not mean with sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you that not to keep uh, keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. See? Now that's pretty strong there, that Paul was talking about today's unleavened bread, and what they had to do. In First Corinthians chapter 15, young people... First Corinthians 15... Verse 33, do not be deceived, evil company, see, evil company corrupts good habits. If you're around evil people, they're going to corrupt you. See? If you are a good person, you will not be around evil people. But if you stay around evil people, you'll be corrupted. You'll take on their habits. So if you're around gossipers, people against the church... They're going to have an influence on you. They're going to corrupt you. As the Bible speaks here. And of this time, you know, that we do serve God with all of our heart in sincerity and in truth. May we all have a wonderful rest of the feast of unleavened bread.